Good morning, everyone. Happy Pentecost to you. Just a couple of announcements for you before we get underway with worship today. It is the first Sunday of the month, so that means first Sunday supper is tonight. That is still a delivery-only affair, but it doesn't mean that help is unnecessary. So if you would like to help cook, uh, the time to arrive for that is around 3 o'clock. And then, and this is what I know you're all waiting for, if you would like to help clean up, the arrival time for that is about 4.30. So uh, there will be quite a lot of work happening in the Family Center this afternoon as we deliver our first Sunday meals to a little over 100 uh, different people. So anyway, that's today. Next Sunday, it, we will have a special guest at First Presbyterian Church, uh, A.M. Kuryachin, who is one of the pastors that Shirley and I got to know uh, very well on our trip to India. Shirley has been with him multiple times in India. He will be here with us next Sunday. So at 10 o'clock here in the sanctuary, uh, he's going to talk to us about what Christianity is like in India. And then Sunday afternoon, he's going to talk more generally about what India is like. I suspect there are a few things a few of us think we might kind of know about India, uh, but it's a fascinating place. It's one of my favorite places that I've ever traveled, and A.M. is an amazing pastor and does really incredible work there, so I do hope uh, that you will make plans to join him here at 10 o'clock and then again on Sunday afternoon uh, next week. So with all that in mind, let's prepare our hearts for the worship of Almighty God.
May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Let us pray. Lord, as we come into your sanctuary, into this holy place, we pray that your spirit would fall fresh on us, would mold and shape us and use us to your glory. We give you thanks for this time of worship as we bring all adoration and praise to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. When the Spirit of God came upon Isaiah when he was in the sanctuary, 
The very first words he said were, Woe is me, for I am unclean. When we draw close to holiness, we cannot help but see where we have fallen short. It comes to us in stark relief. And so here, in this sacred time, in this holy sanctuary, we come close to the stark relief of where we have fallen short. And so we confess together. As we begin, I would remind you, we do have a time to silently pray in the middle of our time together. So please join me. Holy and great God, we pray for your mercy and grace in our lives and the lives of those whom we love. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. As we survey a world in turmoil, we pause now to offer our confession for the role we have played in the violence, greed, rage, and selfishness which perpetuate human suffering. We take this time now to offer our silent prayers of confession to you. We continue together. We pray that through Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel might be sealed upon our hearts once more. We ask that you would humble us, sanctify us, and transform us into your more perfect disciples. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear again the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. He came into this world to save you and to save me. And he also made us a promise that we would never be left orphaned, that he would send his spirit to us. Know that you are forgiven and know that you are never alone. And now be at peace. Amen. Let's sing to God's glory. Let's pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, it is Pentecost Sunday, and what that means is today is the church's birthday. And this is our version of a birthday party. So very similar, I think, to most of the birthday parties you have experienced. We have fire, just like you have at your birthdays. I always want to have more fire on the chancel, but I find that that makes everybody scared and nervous. 
So alas, we have two candles on the chancel today, but we're celebrating the church's birthday. So when I read the story of Pentecost, the story from Acts that I'm about to read, what I'm reading is the story of the church's birth. So let's listen to that story now. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I mentioned, we have a special guest next week, our friend A.M. from India. So this has put India on my brain over the past week. And so that made me think of traffic. If you've never had the opportunity to drive or ride in Indian traffic, it is an experience. I've been to many places throughout the world and never have I experienced what I experienced there. On the very first day we arrived, it was Shirley and Lucy Warner and me, and that was my first trip to India. And the very first morning, AM comes to pick us up from our hotel and take us to the school where we will be teaching. And so uh, AM comes in and he picks us up and Shirley, in a very friendly and loving gesture, says, Phil, I'm sure you would like the front seat. And I thought, how gracious of her. So I stepped right into the front seat, and then A.M. proceeded to pull out and turn directly into oncoming traffic, because that was the most efficient way to get to the roundabout where we could go the direction that he actually wanted to go. So we drive each and every morning out of the hotel into oncoming traffic for about three to four hundred yards, and then we make the turn and start going in the other direction. And once we make the turn, you start to realize any number of things, that traffic laws are more like guidelines, that road markings don't really mean anything, that stoplights are kind of a subtle joke that everybody's in on in the country except for you, that if there's space in the traffic, it will very soon be filled by something small enough to fit inside of it. It is chaos. It is constant chaos riding in India. And so every day I would sit in the front seat and every day my PTSD got higher and higher 
as I thought about that turn into the oncoming cars. And, you know, the amazing thing about it was, like, nobody yelled at us. Like, people just kind of got over and let us make our way into traffic to the turnabout. So then I come back to the United States, and I would say our traffic is decidedly more orderly than theirs. We like our order here, we like to obey traffic laws by and large. Let me, let me point this out to you. How many of us have gotten angry when the person in front of us did not use their turn signal? Right? Like for us, that is outrageous. But I don't even know if the Indian vehicles have turn signals. And if they do, they are not using them. So we like our order, and what I learned is that like chaos is kind of a nice thing to visit, but I don't really want to live with it all the time. So I'm happy when I come back to my order and my structure and my traffic laws that are obeyed here. And this shouldn't be surprising given the fact that I am, in fact, Presbyterian. Because we Presbyterians like our order as well, don't we? What's our little saying about ourselves? Presbyterians do things decently and in order. Apparently there's only four Presbyterians in the room. We do things decently and in order. When you walk into church on a Sunday morning, I would expect most of you have a very good idea of what to expect as to what will be happening next. You have a good idea of how worship will go. If you go to a meeting, you have a good idea of how the meeting will go. We like to structure things, make things orderly, make sure that they are done decently. Now, this means that the vibe in our worship services, I think, can charitably uh, be called formal and maybe uncharitably be called frigid, since we are sometimes called the frozen chosen. But regardless, we like our order. Why do we like order? What is the attraction to us of order? Order implies control, right? If things are done in order, that implies that somebody is in control of something. And if things are done in order and things are done under control, what does that mean they will likely be for us? Safe they will be safe. All the order and all the control implies quite a lot of safety, and we, well, at least me, I like safety. I do not like feeling as though I am unsafe. Order, control, make us feel more comfortable. That's great, and I am not anti-order, but the problem is there are strong elements in our faith which are, in fact, chaotic. So what do we make of this? A lot of you know the Pentecost story pretty well. Again, you came in this morning knowing what the story was going to be that you were going to hear. The Pentecost story is so familiar to some of us that it just, like a lot of the amazing stories in Scripture, starts to feel pretty ordinary. You got a group of people together, Tongues of fire appear over their heads. A bunch of uneducated peasants all of a sudden start speaking in dozens of foreign languages. Wind blows through. We know this story. We understand it, and because we know it, and because we understand it, it feels orderly, but it wasn't. 
The birth of the church, if that's what we're marking today, the birth of the church was marked by chaos, by disorder. I can prove to you how disorderly it was. What is the weather condition that is described in this passage? Wind. Wind is chaos. Everybody that has hair, or so I am told, hates wind. I do not know a female alive who says, oh good, it's windy today. Have you ever tried to eat in the wind? Hit a tennis ball in the wind? Do anything of any difficulty in the wind? It's unpleasant. Why? Because it is chaotic. It blows everything around. You can't keep your hair down. You can't keep your napkin on your lap. You can't keep the tennis ball in the court. You can't keep the wings of the plane level in the air. Wind messes with everything. And it is wind that blew through the room to get the whole thing started, disrupting all the order that they thought they had. And then think about the reactions that are described by the people who experienced this gust of wind, this presence of the Spirit. I'll read them to you again. The crowd was amazed and astonished. Then later on it says they were amazed and perplexed. When things are under control and in order, amazed and astonished are not the words we would typically use. Like if you've been on the session before serving as an elder, have you sat down in a session meeting and been amazed and astonished? Probably not. Order, structure, these are good things. But these are not necessarily the things we ought to associate with the movement of the Holy Spirit or even with the church. The church is much more chaotic, much more disorderly than we like to give it credit for. If you read through the book of Acts, and I know you guys read through your Bibles all the time, if you read through the book of Acts, it is chaos after chaos after chaos on every page. People are having visions, people are hearing voices, people are just up and being transported to other parts of the world. Things are happening on every page that you could say if you saw them that you were amazed and astonished. Chaos. Disorder. It's all over our faith. So here's something, here's something that I learned the last time that I went to India. So at this point, I'd been there once before and then was there for two weeks the second time, so it's enough to start to figure some things out. Here's what I noticed. You would think, right, you would think with all the chaos on the roads that everyone would mostly be fuming with anger most of the time, right? But this is not true. I see more incidents of road rage here with our blinker issues than I did over there. And what I started to realize was this. What looks like chaos and disorder to me as a foreigner, to them, looked like order. They weren't confused at all by what was happening. They understood exactly what they were doing with their horns. When everybody stopped because a cow was in the road, and I thought, what is a cow doing in the road? They all thought to themselves, cow, stop. It's one of the only traffic laws in the country. 
They knew exactly what was going on. And so I'm going to tell you this, even though it's not relevant to the sermon. I looked it up. I did the research, so you should know. I looked up, I looked up traffic deaths in the United States and in India. And guess what? They're almost exactly the same per capita. India is no more dangerous for people in vehicles than the United States is. Now, do not get in a car in the Dominican Republic. That was quite clear on the chart. But they're almost the same. And so what occurred to me when I was there, what occurred to me was that what I was experiencing as chaos, as disorder, was in fact not nearly as chaotic as I thought it was. When we think about this passage from Pentecost, when we think about some of the great moments of our faith, I suspect if all of us told the stories of the times in our lives when our faith felt the most powerful, when it felt the most profound, for many of us, those stories would correlate to times when we did not have control. When we were experiencing what we would call chaos or disorder. So what I'm saying today as we consider the birth of the church, what I'm saying today is that it is important for us to not try to be too orderly with the business of faith. It's important for us to not try to control it too much. Now, I'm not saying we all need to start waving our hands in the air. We're Presbyterians. But as we consider what it means to do the business of our faith over the course of our lives, what I'm suggesting is that it's pretty useful to put ourselves in situations from time to time where we don't have control and we aren't entirely sure what's going to happen. Because it's in those moments that Scripture tells us, it's in those moments, in fact, that our experience tells us, it's in those moments, in fact, that the story of the church tells us that the chaos we are experiencing is divinely ordered by the God that we worship. That in those moments where we feel most profoundly out of control, the presence of God is in fact more imminent to us than those moments where we feel like we have everything under control. I can't think of a time in my life where I took a risk related to my faith and then regretted it. I can think of times that weren't terribly fun. I can think of times that caused me quite a lot of anxiety. I can think of times that were hard, but I can't think of a time when I thought to myself, I should not have done this. And I think the reason is because of stories like this. It's when I let go of my own feelings of control, my own need to control a situation, my own need to feel like I am the author of my own life. It's when I let go of that that I create space for the Holy Spirit to do something special, unique. When I allow the wind to blow, as it were. So what I'm commending for us 
is not that we do away with our liturgy, not that we create disorder and chaos everywhere we go, but that we pay attention, that we pay attention to those moments in our own lives and in the life of this congregation when we might feel uncomfortable, when we might feel not entirely control, in control, and ask ourselves, but is the spirit here? Is this the sort of chaos through which God works? I think we'll find that oftentimes the answer, as difficult as it can be, is yes. And then we kind of remember something, I think, that on this day when we celebrate the birth of the church, that we remember that the church is birthed in exactly the same way as everything else is birthed, in chaos. Amen. The table of bread and wine is now to be made ready. This is the table of stewardship of the earth from which these elements come. This is the table of company with the poor, of whom Jesus was one. And this is the table of grace for the sinner, for whom Jesus lived and for whom he died. So come to this table. You who have much faith and you who would like to have more, you who have been here often and you who have not, you who have tried to follow Jesus and you who have failed at it, come. It is Christ who invites you to meet him here. Let us pray. Lord, lift up our hearts, we pray. Lift them all the way to heaven. As we come to this, your communion table, the meeting place of heaven and earth, in our communion with you and with one another, may we join the eternal worship that is happening in heaven. May our voices be raised in song as the angels and the saints' voices are raised. And may we draw near to your throne as they draw near. We give you thanks for these simple elements of bread, of wine. And we give you thanks that you use them and you make them holy by your power. We pray that you would use our ordinary lives in the same way. By your power, make them holy. We offer this prayer in your precious name, in the name of the one who makes us one family. Amen. We remember the first communion that happened it was when Jesus was with his disciples at a table. There was bread on the table, and Jesus took it. Before their eyes, he thanked God for it. He broke it. 
And he gave it to them, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body. It's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after they had eaten that meal together, Jesus took a cup from the table. He said, This cup, it represents a new covenant. This covenant is sealed with my own blood. Take, drink, and remember me. And so, as often as we eat this bread, as often as we drink this cup, we do remember our Lord's death. And we celebrate that he comes again. This is not a Presbyterian table. This is the table of Jesus Christ. And all who love him are welcome here. I will ask the servers to come forward, and then we will go from the back rows to the center aisle, and then please return to your seat using the outer aisle. Come, for all is ready.
for all who have held their elements. We remember that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. All who hunger and thirst will find their hunger and thirst filled in me. He said, I am the true vine. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Let us pray. Lord, for the gift of this sacrament, we give you thanks. May it point far beyond simple bread, simple juice. May it be nourishment for us, refreshment on this journey of our faith. May it make your presence keenly known to us. May it shape us. May it renew us. We ask this in our prayers, for we know that you ask us to enter your world, to be part of this world that you love. And there is so much turmoil, there is so much despair, And so, Lord, we need your refreshment to be your hands and feet in the world. We pray for all places today that are drowning in grief, in anxiety, in fear. We pray for places as near as Tulsa, as far away as the Ukraine, and everywhere in between, Lord. We pray for those whose names we know, for situations that are heavy on our hearts, that we ask you to carry. We ask for your presence within them. And we name before you now, both in the silence of our hearts and aloud, particular people, particular situations. Lord, hear our prayers. Lord, we give you thanks that you promise to hear our prayers and that when we feel too weak to even pray, that you will send your Holy Spirit to pray for us. We thank you for the work of your Spirit in this world, in this community, and in our own lives. Fill us, mold us, shape us, and use us, we pray. And it's in your name we offer it. Amen. This offering of music is to the glory of God. If you would like to give an offering, you can in the basket following worship. For now, let us continue our worship.
for the gifts of this time of worship, we give you thanks. And for the gift of this particular congregation, we give you thanks. 175 years of ministry in this place. We thank you especially this day for our members, for those wearing roses and for those who are brand new, for all who have built up the worship, the ministry, and the love within these walls, and who have carried that love, ministry, and work out of these walls. We give you thanks this day for your gift of the church. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As we prepare to go out into the world, we remind ourselves what it is we believe as we enter God's world. And so please say with me these ancient words, they come from the Apostles' Creed, and help us remember. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
the grace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you from the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once more into these doors. Amen. The peace of Christ be with you. And also with you.